Open your Bibles to John chapter 11 in the New Testament, if you would, please. I know some of you were hoping for the book of Exodus today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The cornerstone of our faith. If Jesus has not been raised, if there is no resurrection, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, then we of all people are most to be pitied. There is no other person, no other founder of any religion, philosophy, system of thinking in the history of man that has come back from the dead, let alone prophesying that he would within a three-day framework and actually did it. What do you think? What do you think would be the hardest thing you could do? The most difficult thing that you could do? Come back from the dead. I personally don't know anybody that's been raised from the dead. Do you? Other than Christ. I've tried to raise people from the dead been unsuccessful three times at funerals that I officiated at with the body in the casket. Laid my hands on the body. Spoke these words, arise in the name of Jesus. You could hear a pin drop, as you might understand. Everybody waited. Nothing happened. It dawned on me, if I were a Christian, don't call me back. <laughs> so I don't do that anymore. <laughs> My presumption is if you're in heaven, man, you don't want to come back here. If Jesus said, in effect, Kill me in three days, I'll come back. And if he actually did it, as the records testify, and not only the biblical record, but also secular history testifies, if he did it within the time frame that he said he would do it in, do you think that possibly everything else he said could be credible, could be depended upon? Do you see why the resurrection is the cornerstone of Christianity? Atheists down through the history of, of, of the church, knowing the resurrection as the cornerstone of Christianity, in their efforts to disprove the resurrection, if they had been intellectually honest to look at the evidence, have had to come to grips with the reality that it's true. Jesus is alive. He did come back from the dead. Aren't you glad? I'm so glad. I'm so glad because now I have a hope. I have a living hope, and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. In John's Gospel, the account concerns, in chapter 11, it concerns the events surrounding the death of one of Jesus' closest friends, a man by the name of Lazarus. Jesus is off ministering and word comes to him that his good friend Lazarus is sick. 
Lazarus' two sisters, Mary and Martha, send word to Jesus. And for some reason, Jesus deliberately delays and doesn't come quickly. How many would like him to come quickly in the middle of your need? And he doesn't come quickly. He deliberately delays and Lazarus dies. It's two more days before Jesus comes. That's where we're going to pick up the account in verse 21. Before we get there, our lives, every single one of us, our lives are full of all manner, all sorts of dyings, aren't they? They're full of all sorts of dyings and they're full of all sorts of awakenings. Our lives are full of chapter closings and new ones opening. Dark Fridays and bright Sundays. Shattered dreams and hopes fulfilled. Because of the resurrection... Our losses are not the end of the story. Paul says we do not grieve as do those who have no hope. And there are many, 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 many people who have really no hope. They have no assurance as you and I have. You ask them, If you died, what would happen to you? And if they believe in heaven and hell, and most people presumably would believe in heaven, and they would say, I hope I I go to heaven. They don't know. Well, how do you know you're going to go to heaven? Well, I I hope hope I'm going to be... I was a good person. There's no certainty. There's no surety. You and I have that. Our losses are not the end of the story. But in life, for all of us, we have dark Fridays. And we have bright Sundays. But it's not the dark Friday, it's not the bright Sunday that requires the greatest grace. The greatest grace is needed during those eternally long Saturdays in between, when we're caught in the middle, when the loss has just happened, when the disillusionment has just hit. And we know that somewhere out there there's a, there's a brighter day. We know that someday there's a Sunday, but it's, during those Saturdays when we have to wait. Sometimes those Saturdays can be anguishing. That's when we need the grace. Saturday is the place that exists between our losses and our new beginnings. It's where we seek to get through the the grief, the disappointment, the disillusionment, and to be able to get on with life. 
And those around us urge us. They say, you've you got to get on with your life. You've got to get on with your life. And yet we're stuck. We can't. Saturdays is where our former vision of what life would be has failed. And we are desperate for a new, a new vision, a new day. Peter and James and John and the other disciples experienced, I think, probably the longest, darkest Saturday in the history of man. The Saturday after the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. That week, on Friday, they lost everything that they lived for. Their hopes were not merely wounded, they were annihilated. Their dreams were not merely shattered, they were utterly stripped away. Only God knew. Only God knew how much confusion, how much anguish, how much torment, how much fear they experienced. Only God knew the questions that filled their minds and their hearts on that Saturday. Hope. Hope is never more needed than on Saturdays. Something has gone. Something has left us. Something has died. Something or someone that once filled a great place within our lives has left and has left us just as empty as we once were full. Just as lonely as we once were held dear. Just as uncertain as once we were sure. Something has gone. A certain woman faced a long Saturday. Twenty years into her marriage, she described it this way. When my husband of twenty years and I separated, people called, wrote letters, came visiting. Some promised You'll marry again soon. And next time your marriage will last. Others said, you're better off single. Almost everyone encouraged me, she said. Move on with your life. Get on with it. Go for it. Eighteen months later, this woman and her husband decided to give their marriage a second chance. But they found the support was limited at best, often non-existent. One said, I heard you two are back together. I hope it isn't true. Another asked, are you sure you want to risk going through this again? Even a pastor friend of hers told her, when something is dead, you need to bury it. Those words of counsel seem much too stark, much too harsh when speaking about something as significant as a 20-year-long marriage. 
But you see, her, her advisors, her counselors, her friends, they had watched her in some of her darkest days. They'd seen the anguish and the disillusionment on her face when she talked about her marriage. They'd heard her struggling for hope. They saw her tears. Watching her was difficult. Somehow the thought of just being rid of the struggle seemed a lesser burden to bear. Why, it only made sense. Common sense, that is. Jesus turned the kingdom of common sense on its head again and again and again. How often we turn to common sense. Well, it only makes sense this is what you should do. It only makes sense this is the way you should go. But Jesus was constantly turning the kingdom of common sense on its head to those bloodthirsty zealots who followed him, he insisted, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. They'd never heard of that. didn't make sense to them. To his often vengeful disciples, he upped the tally for required acts of forgiveness from seven to how many times? Seventy times seven. doesn't make sense. And to a grieving sister named Martha, whose beloved brother Lazarus had just died, Jesus made it clear that the resurrection was much more than a coming prophetic event. Look with me at John chapter 11, verse 21. Jesus has finally come. Lazarus is dead and in the tomb. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Right into the face of Martha's grief, right into the middle of her loss, Jesus came that day. He walked right in to the conflict of her life. She was not only brokenhearted by the loss of her brother, but she was bewildered over the question of why. Not why did my brother die so much, but why hadn't Jesus come earlier? Why had he waited so long? Surely he could have saved her brother. Martha was struggling simply with the same thing that you and I struggle with so often. The nagging if. If only. If only. If you had been here, my brother would not have died, she said. What Martha had hoped would happen, did not happen. 
Things in our life that we hope would happen often do not happen. Things had just not panned out the way she had expected or imagined. If there was any present help in sight, she could not see it. She could not see it. Beloved, when our hopes have fallen flat, when what we expected has not worked out, where do we turn? That's the question. Where do we turn? Do we give up? Do we walk away? I've talked to people over the years, say, I tried Jesus. He didn't work for me. I tried to believe. I had these hopes. I had these plans. He didn't come through for me. And out of disillusionment, many people will bail. They will quit. How could a heart once so full of hope and now so disappointed ever find hope again? To Martha's dilemma, Jesus brought hope, and he brought hope in the form of five short words. Your brother will rise again. He didn't say how. He didn't say why. He didn't even say when. He did, however, bring her a promise, and an emphatic promise at that. And interestingly, Martha automatically assumed that Jesus was speaking in the not-to-be-experienced, but the prophetic sense. She offers mental assent to the belief in a doctrine, one of future hope, the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. An important doctrine, to be sure, but certainly not one that would make any difference in the overwhelming Saturday she was now facing. Martha simply answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. In other words, I know, I know all of our doctrines. I know what we believe. I know that I have the hope of someday seeing my brother in heaven. It's as if Martha feels for a moment that Jesus is giving her the last thing anyone wants at a moment of deep distress. A Sunday school doctrinal review. What Martha did not realize is that not only would there one day be a resurrection, but she was at that very moment standing directly in front of the resurrection itself. A resurrection incarnate. All of the power to resurrect, all of the power to bring back to life, all of the power to transform, to make new, was in the hands of the one with whom she was at that very moment conversing. The resurrection incarnate. The dark valley of the shadow of death she had entered just four days earlier was about to be visited by the only person on the planet who possessed a power greater than death. Beloved, our hope is in a living, risen Savior. 
All that was required, Jesus said to Martha, all that was required was that she, what? Believe. Was that she believe. That she trust Him. And certainly Martha's confession of faith in the coming resurrection was no small thing. At least she had a long-term hope in God's ultimate power over death. Jesus was, however, calling her to a more immediate awareness. Resurrection power was not relegated to a future event in history. No, resurrection power touched the planet the moment Jesus arrived. Think about it. Because he was and is and will forever be the resurrection and the life. Jesus. Yes, Martha had a hope. But Jesus had a higher hope. A more immediate hope for her. The resurrection power resonant within Jesus. The great I am. That power preceded his own empty tomb. And it would go far beyond his empty tomb. Whenever Jesus came on the scene, resurrections happened. Dead things came back to life. Blind eyes could suddenly see. Deaf ears could hear. Tax collectors offered refunds, if you can believe that. (laughs) Prostitutes would pray. Lame men stood up and walked. And yes, dead men lived. Every moment was infused with resurrection power and potential when Jesus was on the scene. All the laws governing the kingdom of common sense were now up for grabs. A higher kingdom and a higher power were now present and were now at work. Succeeding at giving her marriage another chance was something that few people gave any hope for. Deep into the Saturday of her separation, she found herself caught in a mix of conflicting thoughts and emotions. The day her husband came back into her life, That very day, she was contemplating the freedom she was about to experience. The trips she would plan, the projects she would undertake. The divorce papers surely would arrive any day. And she was becoming more and more comfortable with the idea of being single again. One day, she heard a familiar sound as a car pulled up in the driveway. Without a word... Her husband entered the house, walked over, and gently hugged her. He came not with divorce papers, but with a question. Could we try again? In a millisecond, in a millisecond, all kinds of questions flooded her mind. Should she toss the 20 years of marriage in the trash, or should they give it another try? Did she want to have to answer to someone else again? Did she want all the cooking and laundry and 
meals and sharing responsibilities again? What about the complaints she would hear about her shortcomings? And yet, what about the good times? What about the good times they had known together before everything went south? She was not so sure. Yes, for better or worse, vows had been made. She had made a promise. As she walked in the valley of decision, her hopes were paper thin. Still, she felt more positive about giving it a try again rather than going it alone. She felt the risk of either decision. Re-enter the marriage and it might blow up again in her face. Leave it. And she might regret having given up so soon. Hope. Hope is the radar system that alone can detect a resurrection. Hope is the radar system that alone can detect a resurrection. When our eyes can see nothing but what we have lost, hope is that inner prompting that something else is drawing near, something bright, something new, something different from what we had ever known before or perhaps expected. Hope. How did her long Saturday end? She describes it this way. Our separation taught us a little about what is and what isn't important. Forgiveness, we've learned, is essential. And we've avoided, at least so far, the anger and bitterness that can come from divorce. Our marriage is far from perfect But the marriage is better than it was before. We walk nearly every day, eat out more frequently, talk more. Both of us have learned to pay more attention to each other than we did in the past. My minister friend wasn't entirely wrong. At the time I talked to him, the marriage was dead. But I wonder... Hasn't he heard about resurrection? What propelled this struggling wife to give it another go? What gave her the courage? It wasn't the words of her many friends and counselors. It wasn't even the words of her pastor friend. It was this. In the midst of her struggles, she did not forget To remember. She did not forget to remember that after something dies, there is an option other than burial. There is the hope of new life because of the resurrection. Beloved, if we are to take hold of hope, if we're able to take hold of hope that that it'll enable us to get a resurrection in our sights when we come face to face with a death. There's some things that are essential, some things to remember. The first one is this. 
we need a word from the Lord to hold on to. We always need a word from the Lord to hold on to. God, speak to my heart. Give me a word. We need a word from the Lord to hold on to. A passage of Scripture, a promise from the Scriptures. That gives hope something to hold on to. For Martha, it was in the form of those five words. Your brother will rise again. It was a promise. For Our Lady in the story, it was remembering the rest of the gospel story. You see, with God's help, she remembered that the cross and the tomb were not the final chapter. There was a resurrection. She held on to the hope of a, of a bright Sunday that God would bring. God would bring. We need a word from the Lord to hold on to. Secondly, we need a fresh view of Jesus. Have you ever heard this? Keep your eyes on Jesus. You know how difficult that is? It's not like breathing. You don't have to think about breathing, right? But keeping our eyes on Jesus is a difficult thing because we can become so easily distracted. We need a fresh view of Jesus. The book of Psalms tells us that God is more than someone who wants simply to brighten our perspective about our ultimate destiny. He is more than simply a stabilizing doctrine. He is a person. A person who is intimately concerned about our lives. Psalm 46 verse 1 reminds us that he is an ever-present help in trouble. He is always with us. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Sometimes I feel all alone. Sometimes I feel, God, where are you? This God, who is an ever-present help in trouble, this God, the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being to us. That Jesus was and is the bright vision of God we need. That's why we keep our eyes on Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Who do you look to? Jesus. I thought it interesting that as we talk about hope, that the Greek words in the New Testament translated hope translated some 85 times. Five times in the Gospels, ten times in the book of Acts, 70 times in the epistles, the letters to the churches. I thought, why only five times do we find the word hope in the Gospels? Simple answer. Jesus, the object of the believer's hope, was at that time present with his disciples. He is an ever-present help. You see, their view of him and their view of his power was 
fresh and unhindered. Their hope was an ever-present help. Thirdly, we need to look beyond the circumstances of our life and simply believe. How difficult that can be sometimes to look beyond the circumstances of our life and to believe. Jesus called Martha to simply believe. Not to deny the circumstances, not to say they didn't exist, but to look beyond them and to believe. To lift her eyes above the kingdom of common sense and to become more impressed with the faithful character of God than in the frustrating circumstances of life. For our wife, that included hearing the Good Shepherd's voice clearly amidst all the other voices. There's a cacophony of voices speaking at us, aren't there? All sorts of people telling us all sorts of things. Oh, do this, do that, do this, do that. In the midst of all those voices, to clearly hear his voice. In the final analysis, what did these two women have in common? Something vital, I think. Something essential to hope, no matter what the day is. While others, deeply discouraged by their devastating Fridays, have elected to throw in the towel, these two women instead picked up a promise, dusted off their disillusionments, and found their way to a resurrection. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Do you believe this? He's our hope. He's our hope. We have a living hope. You trust in the Lord. Today we remember particularly his resurrection. Today we celebrate it. We are reminded again of the great hope that we have. You may be in the midst of a terrible Friday or you may be in one of those eternal Saturdays, but because he lives, you have a bright Sunday coming. Amen. Father, thank you for the hope that you give us. Thank you that we're not alone. Thank you, Lord, that we don't need to panic We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be anxious. But that you are indeed working out your great and eternal purposes in our life. All you call us to do is to believe, to trust you. Our hope is in you. You raised Jesus from the dead. And Lord, you've given us new life. Thank you. We love you this morning. We praise your holy name. And we pray in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen? Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have a bright Sunday coming.